Hello, everyone, and welcome to What's Brewing CISFA. What's Brewing CISFA is a podcast produced for the California Community Colleges Student Financial Aid Administrators Association. I'm your host, Dennis Schrader. I serve as the 2021-2022 CISFA past president. As this podcast episode is being recorded late on Tuesday, Dana has left the building, but she'll be joining us on the Friday show. So let's get this show going. And again, welcome to another episode of What's Brewing, Cisfa. It's time to start with our first cup. And being late in the day, uh, no coffee. I can't have coffee at this hour, even though I've got a presentation at a high school in a matter of mere hours. Uh, it's safer that I do not drink coffee this late in the day. So we're stuck with just sparkling water. So uh, hopefully you didn't miss the show too much being a week off. But we're back. We'll be back to doing Tuesdays, mostly news, like today. And Fridays, hopefully mostly interviews. And we'll have Dana back in the rotation. So today we have a little bit of buildup of news. As you know, we were off last week uh, as I was out of the office doing some other things. So got a little bit of news, but it probably won't take a full 30 minutes today. But let's start right in on it. So from the California Student Aid Commission, I have a, uh, a trifecta of special alerts that came out recently. So the first one we'll look at is uh, special alert number 45 for 2021. And this was a summary of some updates relating to Senate Bill 169. So this was a bill just recently passed and really kind of cleaned up a few things that were not passed out, uh, passed through the last regular sessions of uh, the state assembly and Senate to go to the governor. The biggest one was to remove the selective service registration verification requirement, including for the current school year, the 2021-22 school year. So this is no longer a requirement for male students between the ages of 18 and 25 in order to receive state aid. Keep in mind, the federal government took it out kind of over the summer, last minute, uh, the selective service requirement for federal aid. But because of the way the law is written in the state for state aid eligibility, it would have gone, had to go through legislature and wasn't just something our people and friends at the Student Aid Commission could just, uh, like, change the regulation to. So luckily they addressed this pretty quickly got it passed. This notice came out October 12th, just a week ago. So that's all taken care of. So this is the update to other previous notifications that said that they would have to wait for the state, in a sense, to pass a new Senate bill or assembly bill, take care of it. The other updates in here, uh, not as related to community college, but for example, here we got a requirement that the commission, that's the California Student Aid Commission, utilize the cohort default rates that were certified in 2020 rather than the ones that have just come out here in 2021 for the purposes of assessing 
which institutions are eligible for Cal Grant participation in the coming 2022-23 school year. That's a lot of years in info, but here's how it works. One of the criteria the state uses to determine if an institution is eligible to award its students Cal Grants is looking at their cohort default rates. So a cohort default rate is kind of what it sounds like. It's a cohort of students who enter repayment on their federal student loans within a given year. And from that year, then, they're tracked for three more years to see if they default on their student loans. And then that percentage of students becomes your default rate, your cohort default rate for that year. And they get released, these official... (laughs) The official rates get released every fall. And so the ones that just came out this year in 2021, I guess there was some concern that, you know, with COVID and other things influencing things and the fact that the federal government had stopped the requirement for students to make payments, the rates might seem artificially low. But now the rates that were released in 2020, because of when they were released, was all pre-COVID as far as the timing of that three-year cycle. They want to use that year to judge schools to see if their students are, you know, still in a low enough default rate. The other things on the uh, update, not that important. So let's move on to our second item, our second special alert. This one is about virtual training events that are coming out. So there's availability of new training webinars and virtual workshops. These are open to high school staff, college financial aid professionals, people who host cash for college events, and also students and parents. On behalf of high school staff, the annual statewide financial aid workshops are being put on um, and will continue, you know, through the next few months. These are ones that actually I've been involved in quite a bit over the years. I get to present part of the day. There's an update on federal aid and the FAFSA before the Student Aid Commission staff roll through things on Cal Grants, the California Dream Act application, uh, and different aid programs for foster youth. Those all being very specific to, um, you know, uh, high school counselors and financial aid professionals needing to know stuff about state aid program. And then there's going to be some other webinars coming up just for financial aid staff. And of course, cash for college workshops for students and parents. So I'll definitely have links to all these special alerts in the show notes today. So that if you want to reference any of these upcoming trainings, they're easy to find. The last special alert comes out again from Student Aid Commission. This one came out in August, so this might be a little bit of an, not so much of an update, but uh, something we may have talked about in pieces. But when the governor signed the state budget back on June 30th, there was a bill outlining the implementation of higher education provisions, also known as Assembly Bill 132. Um, And these are some of the changes to current programs that did get through. So there was an expansion of the Cal Grant program that established a new community college entitlement program. So Cal Grant A and B entitlement eligibility for students attending a community college 
despite not having been awarded at the time of their high school graduation. This is the key thing here. Now they may now be eligible under the entitlement program. In the old days, it used to be easy to say, we had the Cal Grant entitlement and the Cal Grant competitive programs. Entitlement is pretty much what I would tell parents and students. It's pretty much what it sounds like. It's an entitlement. If you meet all the criteria, you could be entitled to receive it, regardless of the number of students who qualify. So there wasn't a set maximum. So, for example, a student coming right out of high school, meeting the GPA requirements, the income and the asset uh, cutoffs and all that, could be eligible straight out to qualify for the Cal Grant. But there were some limits on the entitlement program in that you had to be right out of high school or the year thereafter, uh, <clears throat> along with the other criteria. Well, that year thing has gone away. So there was some reprocessing that was going on to take care of this. Um, but that's kind of the big change that came out of this state budget process. Along with some slight increases in Cal Grant eligibility for those going to private nonprofit institutions, it used to be $9,084. It's now 9220 Amazingly, Cal Grant B eligibility went down a little bit. It peaked at sixteen fifty six last year for a full time student for two semesters. It's down to sixteen forty eight. Why you might ask? Well, it's funds that come from the College Access Tax Credit Fund. So if you've ever truly looked at your state tax return, somewhere in there, there's the opportunity that you can either have some of your taxes allocated or give extra money to the college access tax credit fund. And when they pool that money, they then divide it out over the expected number of students. And that means that they'll increase the award from whatever the state base amount is upwards. So for the last few years, it's gone up, but apparently that uh, in the last couple of years has gone down a little bit, probably COVID related. Cause that would have been 2020 income and such, uh, but a slight effect for some of our students. Let's move on to some updates from our federal student aid friends. First one's an interesting one. Electronic announcement number 21-63 that came out on October 6th. So this was a reminder that the application deadline is approaching for interested Title IV eligible post-secondary institutions to apply for participation in the second chance Pell experiment. So this relates back to another electronic announcement announcing that letters of interest will be accepted for uh, this program for the 2022-23 school year in the second chance Pell experiment under the Experimental Sites Initiative. This is all part of the Higher Ed Act that in a sense allows schools to do things that I'm going to say cut across the grain of regulations. So second chance Pell is specifically about uh, students who could be incarcerated or such uh, and allowing them in a sentence, a second chance at Pell Grant. So in short, what this general announcement is letting us all know uh, is that these letters of interest for this can be taken in no later than Thursday, October 28th to get priority consideration. So if your school's thinking about that, there's a lot to read on it. Uh, and it's 
uh, luckily this announcement has links to the Federal Register and to the Experimental Sites website of the Department of Ed. It's a, it's a bit of information, but, uh, you know, again, you could be serving a, a number of students who are otherwise not being served uh, and would hopefully uh, accelerate their ability to complete degrees and such. On to our next federal student aid update here. So this is another one from number uh, 21-64 from October 8th. Uh, and this is just noting that federal student aid or FSA is establishing their enforcement office and enhancing federal and state oversight partnerships. So federal student aid will establish an office of enforcement headed by Kristen Donahue as chief enforcement officer. The office will conduct oversight of schools that pose significant risk to students and taxpayers. And to be most effective, the office will leverage strong partnerships with federal and state entities, including things uh, like the Federal Trade Commission, a Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the U.S. Departments of Defense or Justice and Veterans Affairs, and, of course, state attorneys generals. I think the idea here is, from what I read about this in the press release here and otherwise, is this was something established a number of years ago, but kind of put on the back burner uh, during the last uh, federal administration. But it's being brought back to light. And uh, hopefully the goal there, as it says, is a focus on schools that pose a significant risk. So again, schools that might have high default rates on their student loans or schools that have extremely low graduation rates or schools that offer programs uh, you know, that aren't transferable or that students are not complete or that did not actually give them an opportunity to move up in the job world. So there's a lot of things to this. Uh, hopefully they'll focus appropriately uh, on the schools that really do pose a risk. Talking about risky business, not that I have the music for it, but it's that time for a little bit of music so we can lead ourselves into the next segment. And we're back for what else but our second cup segment, everybody. Time to refill if you've got your cups or drinking glasses, whatever you're having at this time when you're uh, listening to the show. We do not judge here, whatever that glass might be. Uh, I'm going to give a shout out to a friend and his wife for giving me some new wine glasses. Not that I'm using them here on the show, but I have to say the pandemic was very cruel to my glassware collection. I mean, I already had uh, three glasses at most of any one type of glass, you know, whether it be tumbler glasses, white wine, red wine, you name it. And at, by the end of the pandemic, I think I was down to one wine glass. And unfortunately, it was one that I didn't like. But it would not break. I don't know why. But a friend of mine, uh, after I happened to be talking about this, his wife more than cordially offered up a four pack of some very nice wine glasses that they just do not have the room for. So I thank you, sir and missus. So uh, on to the news beyond this. Uh, let's see here. Uh, out at the NASFA website, something that, of course, I only catch at the last minute here is that the third Wednesday in October every year is Financial Aid Day. So celebrated every year. 
Financial Aid Day is a special day set aside to celebrate and recognize the contribution of all financial aid professionals across the United States for helping students make their college-going dreams a reality. I stole that line from NASFA. Thank you. So uh, financial aid colleagues are encouraged to do something special, maybe have an office party, a potluck, a toast, if you've got some nice glassware, uh, to celebrate financial aid administrators' contributions to the profession. I only can hope that's my boss would have seen this or somebody else at this college or at any of the colleges. If I hear any of my colleagues celebrating because their boss remembered, uh, let me know. Please text me or email me so I can rub it into other people's faces. But I'm going to give you a link. They got a nice little graphic uh, here at the NASA website about this. Continuing on, another NASFA update here. There's a snapshot uh, article, as they call it, saying FAFSA tracker shows potential for snowballing enrollment decline. So as it says, and starts off, although the annual FAFSA application period only began a couple weeks ago, initial completion data is showing a strong negative trend at the outset of the process, indicating that enrollment trends could continue to worsen. So their little tracker here, uh, and again, the new FAFSA came out October 1st for the next fall and spring semester beyond here, the 2022-23 cycle, as we call it. So they've got their little FAFSA tracker here. And just to give you an idea here, totals per day completions through the second week of the FAFSA launch. So going back a mere three years, it was over 300,000 students. By 2020, the next year, it was 280. By 2021, again, when things were setting in bad, 224,000. And for this year, what we call the 2022 cycle, we are gone from 224,000 to 158,000. So if you look at it on the chart, yes, you can see that we are sloughing off quite a bit. So... I'm going to give you a link to this so you can track it yourself. But again, you know, it's still early. Um, you're just getting out of the pandemic. I think students are still a little confused on process and applications and all because other things are going on outside of financial aid. For example, there's still discussions about and different takes on, um, you know, standardized testing, SATs and ACTs and all that as far as whether schools use it, won't use it, need it, should students take it. So admissions is key, more key than it financial aid alone. You need to know where you're going. Um, but hopefully this trend changes soon. One last update here from NASA. They just opened up registration, I believe. Uh, I have the links here, correct? For their leadership and legislative conference and expo, which uh, will now provide four pathways to choose from so registrants can tailor their experience um, to their goals. Uh, for example, there's the association leadership pathway. For people like me, I'm sure I could have used this back when I was president-elect. But again, anyone interested in assuming a leadership position at a state or regional or national level, this track of their training and conference will help you. 
understanding how these volunteer organizations play a, a key role, in a sense, in the overall financial aid profession. There's also a compliance management pathway. This is, you know, for compliance officers and financial aid directors, you know, which will feature a lot of sessions on compliance management strategies, administrative capability, tactical methodology, I want to know what that is, and collaboration beyond the financial aid office. There's a strategic enrollment management pathway and what's new, a succession planning uh, uh, pathway here. And it says here, developed for practicing financial aid directors, this track will help attendees focus on succession planning strategies, including staff development, identifying leadership and management potential, equity and inclusivity in the managerial pipeline, and collaboration beyond the financial aid office. Some very interesting stuff here. So I'll definitely give you a link for that because that just opened up, I believe, the registration, but it's good information, everybody. So we're going to end on one last kind of sad note. Uh, Many of us here in the financial aid world in higher ed, we're looking forward to Assembly Bill 1456 uh, passing, which was good, did pass both houses, and hopefully getting signed into law. It was going to be some major changes to the Cal Grant program alone that would probably have opened up hundreds of thousands of opportunities for students to get Cal Grants here in the state and really increase funding. Well, unfortunately, the governor did veto AB 1456. And so there's an inside higher ed article that talks about it because it takes to take, which is probably true, even in these good times of abundance, because the name of the article is a frugal vote, uh, a frugal veto at a time of abundance. So really, even in these times of abundance, when it comes to state budgets and other things and swing arounds and all the high red, I'm sorry, emergency funding that's been received at the state level, the governor saw (laughs) the price tag on this and decided not to enact it. Something in government you don't always hear about. You know, it's one of these, we'll pass it now, figure out how to pay for it later type of worlds. Or, you know, usually the estimates for the cost are low at the start. And by the time we're four or five years in, you can't get rid of a federal aid program or a state aid program. And thus, the costs just have to be sucked up in some kind of way. So it's a nice, interesting article out at Inside Higher Ed. And I'll definitely give you the link to that. But, of course, where are we in the show? Time for a little music, everyone, to move ourselves into the last segment. And just like that, we are into our last segment, also known as The Last Sip. Or slurp, I guess. Maybe I should have got some new music and new sound effects. But anyways, uh, normally this is where we do a little bit of our uh, I Dare You To stuff between uh, me and Dana, our little banter there. Uh, I don't have any specific books. Now, I will say I went out and bought some actual books. I tend to be hardcover buyer, so they are hardcovers. 
Uh, it's funny. I bought one of them specifically because I was passing through uh, my normal cigar lounge. And I know some people there are in a uh, book club that probably hasn't met in person for a while. But um, he, uh, one of the authors, or I'm sorry, one of the guys who I know is in it, who's a lawyer, happened to have a book out. And I could see it was from Michael Lewis. And so it's his new book. And so I just asked him a little bit about it. He hadn't started to read it yet, but he said this is his next, is the book club's next book. So Michael Lewis, the guy who wrote Moneyball, as we're here in the middle of the uh, baseball postseason, uh, I was like, okay, maybe it's time for, I read Moneyball. Maybe it's time for another Michael Lewis book. So I did buy a copy myself. And although I'm not in the book club, I'm not smart enough probably. I know who's in this book club. I'm probably not smart enough. Uh, I may just read it alongside it uh, just for fun. But again, it's just one of a, about four or five other books that I'd bought. I had a, a gift card from a, uh, from a colleague uh, for one of the bookstores. So I went out and uh, decided I should drop even more money at the local bookstore. The other thing I did uh, is uh, I went to one of my favorite music stores here in L.A., Amoeba Music, and bought compact discs. If you do not understand what those are, uh, just uh, email me at the show, which, of course, is also old technology to whoever I'm talking about right now, and I'll tell you all about it. But it was a case that I bought about 30 of them, um, some new, some used, mostly jazz, some that I have listened to on my streaming audio service, but I decided I wanted in physical form. And uh, I happened to take them to the cigar shop later in the afternoon because I uh, was going to stop in for a few minutes, say hi to some friends. And I took them out of the bag because I wanted to get them out of the plastic and all that and kind of give them a look over. And one of the younger uh, patrons there, still probably in his early 30s, looks over and goes, what are those things? And of course he knows what they are. But it was a little bit of a jab at uh, old technology. But I will say, go out and buy some physical music if you can. You know, whether they're compact discs or LPs. I have a friend who's big in vinyl again after many years of having gone stagnant on that stuff. He got a new turntable and better uh, sound equipment, and he's back at it. <clears throat> or other esoteric Things. I mean, I'm not going to say go get cassettes and eight tracks. Again, if you do not understand what those are, please email us at the show. But if you can find, uh, and they're hard to find in the in the, out there in the wild, you know, SACDs or Blu-ray audio. Uh, some of these uh, weird, interesting high-end audio physical media. If you know of places that carry it, please let me know. I do have a CD player in my home stereo, which is a very small setup to start with. And I have a universal disc player, and it supposedly will play most formats. I'd like to try it out and see if it's true, because I don't think I have any of these uh, esoteric kind of things. Mine are just CD CDs. And before we go any farther down this rabbit hole, I think you know what time it is. It's time for a little music and time to end this episode before we go off to tracks. So I want to thank you, our audience, for tuning in today. And again, if you have something to say or you have topics you want us to discuss, email us at wbcisfa at gmail.com. You can find this and all What's Brewing CISFA podcasts on Google Podcasts, your Apple Podcast app, 
Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the TuneIn app on your Amazon Echo by using Alexa. What's Brewing Sisva is a production of Studio 1051, a creative collaboration of me and Dana Yarbrough. This has been episode number 131, recorded Tuesday, October 19th, 2021. Everybody, have a great day and have a great week.